Rio Grande announces a change in time for calling all cars, the West's most popular broadcast. Beginning Sunday, April 2nd, calling all cars will be heard at 8 to 8.30 p.m. On Sundays instead of Fridays. Listen to Calling All Cars, 8 to 8.30, Sunday night, April 2nd. Copyrighted program created by Rio Grande. Marysville Police calling all cars, attention all cars to broadcast 277 regarding a kidnapping. Be on the lookout for a sedan bearing three men and a woman. These men kidnapped the Marysville policemen this day. Exercise caution they are armed and dangerous. That's all. Rolls and clips. Pipe first. You don't send for a radio repairman. If something goes wrong with your radio, you don't call in a plumber. You summon the man whose training and experience have made him a specialist in his chosen line. The men who do know gasoline, whose very occupation requires them to drive far more than you or I, are the men at the wheels of police cars, ambulances, and fire engines. And the way they size up the various motor fuels on the market is best illustrated by the fact that more of their emergency public-serving automobiles are powered by Rio Grande Craft, wherever it is sold, than any other brand. Their constant reliance on this better gasoline to get them away to a quicker start, to give them top speed, maximum power, and the kind of mileage that saves the taxpayers' money is the most eloquent endorsement ever accorded to gasoline. Tens of thousands of motors who have followed the example of an overwhelmingly large number of city and county officials in California, are enjoying the advantages of police car performance Rio Grande Crash in their automobiles. If you are not, why not? Get a tank full on the way to work in the morning. Give it one trial and you'll be sold. You'll understand why Rio Grande Crash is the most highly recommended gasoline sold in the West. we are to hear tonight have been taken in the main from the confidential files of the police department of Marysville, California. We have therefore asked Chief of Police Daryl LaForte to prepare a foreword to our program. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is a privilege to be able tonight to greet you as a guest of Calling All Cars. It is part of the cooperation which law enforcement agencies are showing in their efforts tonight to point out the losing nature of life of crime. Such cooperation between law enforcement officers and all others in this work is vital to the success of the battle against crime. If every group of authorities seek only to cover themselves with glory and refuse to cooperate with other groups, the criminal element has a distinct advantage. The story we are about to hear was brought to a successful conclusion by the splendid way in which all peace officers involved work together to prove again and most conclusively, that crime cannot pay. A low moon hung over the little desert town of Battle Mountain, Nevada. It is long after midnight, 1.30 o'clock in the early morning of July 15, 1932. At the upper end of the town, two men were working furtively in the shadows as they attempted to break the lock of Battle Mountain's leading store, while a third stood beside a small sedan parked nearby. 
Oh, you're making that trip. Okay, okay. A couple more fries on him. Well, here. Put it to my order. I want to get some of that. I thought I heard something down there by the corner of the building. Is it a jumpy chip? I can't hear anything. Yeah, maybe so. I could have sworn I heard someone there. Yeah. If there was anybody around, handy to see them. But you suppose I'm making a stand at it by the car? Yeah, yeah, sure, I know. Yeah. 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 Well, more like that one has a lot of stuff. Now give me back there. Yes, there is somebody coming. I just saw a shadow on that on the sidewalk. I got a pick and listen. Yeah. You hear that? Come on. Cut the honest sedan, I quick. He's still coming. I guess he saw us all right. Why didn't you tip us, Henry? You fellas said that. I think he's going to get the signal when we look back here. Okay. Well, the gun's ready, boys. I got a hunch with that cop. All right, you fellas. Put up your hands and come out in the open. It's the law. It's the marshal, boss. Yeah, I know. Let him have it, boys. <laughs> One of us got in charge. He stopped and he's flat. Stop, boys. you pulling in. We must only wink him. He's firing at us. How do you know what to do, then, Jeff? Shooting it down with some other fellow. They'll be down that alley there. Okay, some of you men come with me. We'll try to head them off. Look, Constable, there's a the fellow they shot, man, there by the corner of the store. See if there's anything you can do, friend. Yeah, I'm going to try to catch up with the guys who shot it. You see what it is? Not there, but. Yeah. Yeah, it's Marshal Chiara. Good old two gun piece Chiara. They killed him. Looks like it to me. He got back at him a little. I saw one of the killers limping pretty bad when they went in that alley there. You, you think he might have shot one of them? That's the way it looks. Funny that you run off and leave the car standing here. That ain't their car. Belongs to some people I know. Just happened to be parked there. Well, it looks like they got away. A lot of the boys are still searching for them, but no luck so far. They got away, huh, Constable? Yeah, we'll get them yet. They left their tracks in the alley. The tracks of cowboys' boots. Shortly after his arrival at the scene of Marshal Tiara's tragic killing, Sheriff James Moore of Lambda County sent a rest call to Detective Richard Heath of Reno. Detective Heath immediately uncovered two important clues. A limp, plainly discernible in one of the bandits' tracks, and an excellent palm print from the fender of the park automobile. But it remained for M.A. Carpenter, a detective of Marysville, California, to give meaning to these clues. Were you able to make anything out of what he dug up, Mr. Carpenter? I certainly was, sir. Plenty. You mean you got a lead out of that palm print? No, not the palm print. Identifying the killer through that would be mostly a matter of luck. What's the track? That's it, exactly. Those boot prints. Showing the limp. What about him? Sheriff, only one man in the West makes boot tracks like that. And that man is Jack Weston. Jack Weston? You mean the man they call the last outlaw of the Old West? That's just who I mean. But, uh, how can you be sure? Besides the evidence of those boot prints, Jack Weston is the only man I know who could outdraw two gun feet Sierra. That's the case. He's going to be a tough man to catch. That may be, but none of them are too tough to be caught eventually. I followed Weston's career since way back in 1900 when he and his brother Ed started out stealing horses in the state of Washington. He's been getting away with his lawlessness for a long time now, Mr. Carpenter. I don't know what... Jack hasn't entirely gotten away with it. He's done time before. And when we get him this time, he'll likely hang. And if he keeps on leaving a trail of telltale boot prints, we'll have him before you know it. But nearly three months passed, and still nothing definite has been learned as to Jack Weston's whereabouts. And then, late one October afternoon of the same year, an automobile bearing Arizona license plate 
turned into a service station on the outskirts of Marysville, California. Fill your tank, sir? Yeah. Make it snappy. Yes, sir. Don't you think we should have stopped further along, Jack? After all, we just cleaned this sticky town a change of over 540 bills. Shut up, will you, kick? Oh, that service station got to hear you. Hmm. No, but just the same. Oh, we were down to the last gallon. I didn't want to take no chances of running out between stations. Right here now, Jack. I'm not sure yet. Let's see how things look up ahead. I may cut east, back into Nevada. Then you're going to pass up Red Bluff? I told you I didn't know, didn't I? A pipe down. I wish that guy would hurry up. I want to get clear of this town. Oh, it's just coughing, kick. He's going to bother it. Hey, Vinny, lend me the oil. In a hurry. Okay, sir. That's $2.15. Here you are. Thank you, sir. Let's see, that's $2.15 out of the corner. Looks like another one of the phonies, eh? Sure. Why not? Oh, look what's coming around the corner of the station. Jack, it's a cop. He's looking hard in our direction. All right, sir, it's that cop. What of it? I swear he's the biggest cop I ever saw in my life. I bet he weighs way over 200. Yes. He's coming over here. Yeah, let's beat it. Check nuts to the chain. Listen, you two hold tight. I'll take care of this. Just a minute, dear. I want to talk to you. Yeah? What's the matter? Where'd you get that automobile? What do you mean, where'd I get it? It belongs to me. Yeah? You see your registration? Sure. Right here on the wheel post. Sure. Yeah. Your name, sir? All right, copper. I guess you know a 45 when you see one. I climb into the back seat like a good boy. Hey, what the... You heard me, big boy. Okay. Utah decided to take the bull by the horn. 
I tell you, these wool robberies have got to stop. The ranchers around here have taken about all they can stand. Something's got to be done. Done soon. I'd be willing to bet my last dime I know who's behind all this. Yeah, who? Jack Weston. By George, Sheriff, I believe you're right. I'm almost certain I'm right. Yeah, he's the bandit of his your old friend, uh, Marshal Pete Sierra, up at Battle Mountain, isn't he? Yeah. That's something I'm not forgetting. And one of these days, if somebody else doesn't get him first, I'm going to bring Weston in, dead or alive. Wait a minute. Well, Sheriff Pye speaking. This is the store of the ranch calling, Sheriff. Yeah. Any idea who did it? Well, no. The rest of those wolf feeders have been operating around here this spring. Okay, I'll be right out. Unless I'm very much mistaken, it's Weston and he's out there again. They've robbed the Stoner Ranch. Yes. Come on, let's get on out there. I'm going to bring in those wolf thieves if it's the last thing I ever do. Upon investigation of the robbery of the Stoner Ranch... Sheriff Fife's only clue was the diamond-setted tire mark of a truck. A clue which he followed across dark desert country for nearly a month. And then, early one morning, near the abandoned home state mine, 30 miles west of Cedar City, he came across the now familiar track leading to an arroyo, and knew that at last he had his quarry cornered. Leaving his car, Sheriff Fife cautiously drew his 45 and advanced toward a small truck that was partially concealed by a growth of mesquite. As he came up to it and peered around the front of the motor, his eyes fell on a middle-aged man and young woman lying fast asleep on the ground, almost at his feet. For a moment, Sheriff Fife studied the man's features and then... All right, Weston, get up. Huh? Oh, none of that, Weston. I wouldn't reach for that gun if I were you. Okay, Sheriff. Your party. Leave your gun on the ground where it is and keep your hands up. Here's from the girl, too. What do we do, Jack? Whatever the Sheriff says, I reckon. Now get on down the gully there, both of you. My car's only a couple hundred yards away. What about the truck? There's plenty of time to take care of the truck, Weston. I'm going to toss a pair of handcuffs over to you, sister. I want you to put them on him. Shall I, Jack? Sure. What else can you do? All right, hurry it up. Now then, get moving. Okay, okay. Don't get such a stew. Yeah, just keep your head up here. There are no tricks. Yeah. I'm sorry about the handcuffs, Jack. That's all right, Daisy. Think nothing of it. I'm not going to... Oh, you don't, Weston. Stop! Stop for a two! Go on, Jack! Yeah, what for? 
I could not fool around with him. Why not shoot him? That's what he deserves. Just the same, Doctor. You were lucky getting out of the way of that shotgun charge, sir. But it won't happen again. You're all through, see? Here, Daisy. Give me a gun. No. I've got a better idea, honey. We'll handcuff him around one of them trees. This luck is going to die a slow death. Well, he's a brain, sugar. Hey, you see right here, you get it, honey. Punch about a foot kick. Now get over there, sir. The lady's going to make you nice and comfortable. You really mean you'd do a thing like this to anyone worse than Frank? Sure. Now get your arms around that tree trunk. No, I'm not there. Under the big branch. There. That's it. Now. There. That ought to hold you for a while, Sheriff. Now, come on, Jeff. Let me help you up again. Let's beat it out of here. Beat it nothing. Get some gasoline out of the truck, Daisy. Gasoline? Sure. I'm going to pour it over this dirty rat and set him on fire. Oh, huh? No. I said yes. And do what I say. I'm going to burn him alive. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to... Oh, Jack, what is it? It's a slug. I guess maybe I... It wasn't a thought, Jack. Here, hold on to me, darling. I'll get you to the chair for oh. somehow. Oh, take it easy. Take it easy. I will, dear. It's just a step. Uh, if it wasn't for this... Come on, I'm just putting it in my bag. Stay here and watch this. Here we are, Jack. Uh. Now, let me help you up the end of the Oh, oh.
much worse than these handcuffs cutting into my wrist. <laughs> my teeth are strong. Three or four quick bites. That's all. My bone is easily broken once.
with almost superhuman effort, Spike then began his ascent of the trees, breaking away the smaller limbs as he climbed. An hour passed, and he was within four feet of the top of the twenty-foot cedar. There the trunk was fastened, and his body swayed unsteadily. Trembling, he was on the verge of collapse, but somehow he managed to flounder on higher, higher. So did the tree top began to bend into an just one more for Please, God. Just one more for I'm beginning to slide. Free. 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 Force of will, did Sheriff Price, still locked in handcuffs, manage the 14 miles of ruling march towards Cedar City before being picked up by a rancher. And almost unbelievable as it seems, after only two days of recuperation, he was once again hot on the trail of the West, number one bad man, Jack Weston. Information had come through that a girl answering Daisy's description had purchased medical supplies in St. George and had driven south in the direction of Arizona. Sheriff Price was not long in picking up the tracks made for the tires of his car and in company with several deputies. The officers soon came to the end of their search before a tiny shack in the vicinity of Mount Trumbull. Sheriff Fife advanced to the door. Why, it's you. But... Yeah. But I thought... You thought I'd be food for the buzzers by this time, didn't you? You said you're under arrest for attempted murder, young woman. I see. All right. I'll go with you. Where's Jack Weston? He ain't here. He ain't here, eh? Come on. We're going to take a look through the house. Did you see for yourself there's no one in this room? There's two other rooms in the house. Well, we'll take a look at him anyway. Hey, what's your name? Margaret Carter. Margaret Carter. Why'd Jack call you Daisy? If you don't like my name, you know what you can do? Come on now. Where's Jack Weston? Jack is far away. Well, I'm going to find out. You were right about his not being in the house. But I got a hunch he's not far from here. Well, one of the men just found your car, Jim. He did, eh? What about Weston, Captain? Well, there's no sign of Weston. Well, let's take a look at the car. Come on, Daisy, Margaret, or whatever your name is. Okay. See, the car is right there by that clump of mesquite. Oh, yeah. What are the men digging over there for? We found the place with the earth had been disturbed. Thought maybe Weston might have buried something there. <laughs> well, what's that for? What's the matter with you? Oh, nothing, nothing. Hey, it's a body we just found in that pit. The boys are bringing it out now. A body? Well, who's, you know? Yeah, the boys have it out. Maybe someone can identify it. Why? Where is it? Jack Weston? Yes, it's Jack. I buried him there myself. <laughs> he died during the night. I just told him to make sure. Well, looks like that bullet of yours got him after all, Sheriff. Yeah, I guess it did. And it left the West that much better place to live in. <laughs> the moment, we shall present the concluding facts regarding our program. A careful driver not only keeps one eye on the road and the other on his speedometer, he is just as careful about where he turns in for his motoring needs. A veritable army of prudent, thoughtful motorists watch for the nearest red and white Rio Grande station, knowing the safer, surer protection of Rio Lube and Rio Grande, Pennsylvania, knowing the superior quality of Rio Grande crash, the gasoline of real police car performance. Every member of Jack Weston's outfit has been apprehended by the authorities, either before or since the death of their leader, and is now serving time in prison. 
They are learning as Jack Weston so conclusively learned that crime cannot pay. Calling all cars, attention all cars. The camp place is broadcast 277 regarding a kidnapping. The suspects in this case are now in custody. That's all. Rolls and clear. The role of Sheriff Fife in the night's broadcast was played by Frederick Field. This is your narrator, Frederick Lindsay. Bidding you good night for Rio Grande. Rio Grande announces a change in time for Calling All Cars, the West's most popular broadcast. Beginning Sunday, April 2nd, Calling All Cars will be heard at 8 to 8.30 p.m. on Sundays instead of Fridays. Listen to Calling All Cars, 8 to 8.30 Sunday night, starting April 2nd, at which time you will hear the story of Earl Duran, the Wyoming desperado who was shot today. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.